It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Graham Hawkins, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. Thank you, It's Adam. lovely to meet you. Great to meet you, sir. Yeah, finally. Finally. I feel like, I feel like Graham's been a part of my life for a, a lot longer than what he has in reality, but... It's an extraordinary career that you've created for yourself, Graham. You're a, an accomplished salesman, salesperson, a, uh, a published author of multiple books, some extraordinary uh, talents there, and uh, you're involved with a, a lot of different organisations, business-wise at the moment. Who is Graham Hawkins? <laughs> well, I'm not sure about extraordinary career. It's it's all sales fundamentally, and I still to this day consider myself a salesperson, right? Um, age 19, left the farm, the family farm, and, and fell into a sales role. We're all accidental salespeople. And uh, it's been, yeah, 30 years of sales and sales leadership roles, working mostly with US software companies. So I managed to get myself into tech just as tech was exploding and, uh, you know, rode on the coattails of, of that amazing growth in that tech industry. And um, 2012 was kind of like the big change after almost 23 years of sales. I could st- see back then, Laban, that things were changing. The world was changing quickly. And I made the best decision in my career. I decided I'd go back and study. Um, As a guy who didn't go to uni and who didn't really apply myself at school very well, I realised that I quickly needed to go back and and upskill. Part of the reasons for doing the MBA in 2012 is that I wanted to go out and interview buyers and find out what they expected from the role of the salesperson. And so I spent 12 months running around Australia interviewing senior procurement and vendor management people and asking them about, you know, what they want from the the suppliers that they have and in particular what what sort of dynamic they want from the the sales role. And the feedback I got shocked me. (laughs) Old school sales guy who thought he knew it all, right? And I quickly realised that everything I'd learned prior to that point, 2012, had kind of almost become obsolete. Buyers have got access to information. Um, they can solve their own problems. They don't need me to, you know, interrupt them with a cold call and then tell them, hey, you've got a problem, Laban, and I'm the guy who can fix it. They don't need that sort of relationship anymore. So that was some of the feedback I got, which I then converted into my first book, and that got me on this new path towards, you know, hey, the world's changing. We better adapt. What's the, what's the name of your first book, Graham? First book is um, Sales Transformation. It's um, basically the research from that first research project in my MBA. That led to the second book, which is now a, an Amazon bestseller, uh, The Future of the Sales Profession. The Future so, of the Sales Profession by yeah, Graham Hawkins. Yeah, exactly. I, I took a very, um, a, you know, obviously a forward-looking view. Based on what I was hearing in 2012, I thought, okay, everything's changing and we've got all of this tech coming our way. 
artificial intelligence, augmented virtual reality, all of this stuff was coming. I thought, wow, what, where does this leave the role of a salesperson? Like, what's, what's my role going to be in the future? So I set about writing that book, and that, that got me on this path towards, um, you know, starting a business called Sales Tribe. So now I'm the CEO and founder of a, a company called Sales Tribe. Yeah, when I, I'd can like you, to. Can you tell? <laughs> for those listening, he's pointing <laughs> yeah. to his uh, t-shirt with the word "Sales Tribe" uh, written all over. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll, I'd like to explore what the Sales Tribe um, uh, business is because it sounds like it's a, a pretty unique business, from what I can tell. Yep. It, it. I don't know. Is that is that a fairly unique business? It is a very unique business, and um, it's like everything these days. It's evolving. We're doing the usual pivot. We're almost four years into the journey now. If I back up a step, when we started in March 2017, the whole idea was the future of work, the rise of the gig economy, the rise of the freelance economy, and everything that was happening around the experience economy or the customer-led era meant that salespeople needed help. They needed help in upskilling. So our, our purpose, if you like, as a business is to help salespeople protect and upgrade their careers. Get ready for this future that's now here. And what do you know? Along comes the coronavirus and shines a very bright light on everything we've been talking about for the last, you know, four or five years now. So we've accelerated. We've, we've, we've been propelled, according to McKinsey, we've been propelled five years into the future. So it's not 2021 now, it's 2025, if, if you want to think about it. Yeah, you know, yeah, terms. yeah. So this is why I wanted to have you on the show, Graham, because I think for anyone listening that's like, that's, that, that it's not a technically a salesperson, the thing that I think is really important is that we every single person needs to have the tools to be able to sell and sell themselves especially. Yes. And I want to ask you, Graham, why is that important? Well, it's, yeah, look, I'm obviously biased. I'm a sales guy, right? So, and Ralph Waldo Emerson said it years ago, everybody's selling something. We're all... We're all, you know, even in our personal lives, we're trying to persuade people to do things, whether it's your wife or the kids or whatever. So having a certain understanding about, you know, they call it EQ these days, people skills, how to engage with people, um, you know, not necessarily how to persuade people because that was kind of like the old way of selling. I'll use some Jedi mind tricks and I'll yeah. close you, you know. But, yeah, we're, we're, all, we're all having to, particularly these days, we're all having to put ourselves forward um, build a personal brand and, and be able to sell yourself to some extent. Um, you know, when you think about where most people fall over and, and even in, you know, high-tech, high-paid roles uh, for salespeople, one of the big challenges people have is just in articulating their own value proposition. I think people get too hung up in the details of what their product does or what their solution is they forget about the fundamentals of sales, and that is, you know, connect with another human the right way. Have a conversation, a dialogue, you know, two-way, not just me pitching at you. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah, I do. And uh, it uh, reminds me of a section of your book, actually, that, that uh, was a, an amazing learning experience for me because you are a bit of a history buff, and, you, yeah. you know, you said your yeah. mum was a history teacher at school. Yep. And the importance of looking back to be able to look forward. Yes. And where the term the snake oil salesman came from. Yep. Can you entertain our audience with that particular story? Yeah. It's fascinating, I think. It is fascinating. And look, the only reason I did that was because, yeah, as you said, mum's a history teacher and she's always said to me growing up, Graham, you can't know who you are today unless you understand where you've come from. 
So I went right back over the history of sales. And the more I dug into it, the more fascinating it was. So it turns out the, that a guy named John H. Patterson, who's kind of universally known as the godfather of sales, 1884, right, way back in the days, John H. Patterson bought a little company called National Cash Register in Dayton, Ohio, 1884. So these guys obviously were making this newfangled contraption called a cash register, right? And he decided that what he needed to make this business grow was what he called autonomous agents out in the field, sales guys, girls. And he knew that he needed to train them up so they were specialists in what they do, and he gave them all a territory, a patch. He gave them a quota, and he rewarded them with a commission. Here you go. Here's, you know, I don't know, 10, 10 cash registers in the back of the, you know, the horse and buggy or whatever, and off they would go out to their territory and try and sell these things. So what then followed from that sort of early days of sales is, you know, people started to become very wary of the snake oil salesman who was going around selling these lotions and potions and the peddler was introduced, you know, people who were peddling any product. And this comes back to the old, what they call product orientation, where businesses would just make a product, build a product, and then work out how to sell it. The opposite of what we do now. Nowadays, as you know, outside in, we look at the market, we identify a need, and we build solutions to fit the need to solve the problems. In the old days, it was now we just build products, we make lotions and potions, or we make cash registers, and then we work out how to go and sell them. So the old stereotype of the salesperson being a peddler, you know, someone that's perhaps not to be trusted completely because they're biased, that's where it comes from. It comes from that history of we make products and the job of the firm is to sell as many of these units as we can at the highest price possible. Go, you know, hurry quicker. Yeah. It's that kind of mentality. And yeah. and uh, the thing that I found even more interesting as well was the fact that the snake oil was made up of 99% like mineral oil from like <laughs> petroleum or something uh, with some red pepper colouring and uh, like a little bit of snake juice. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And this is where those terms buyer beware and post-purchase dissonance, that's where they come from, right? What's post-purchase dissonance? So if I purchase something and, you, you know, you, you, you drive the car out the driveway and it's a lemon and you realise, oh, I've bought a dud, this guy's talked me into it and I've bought it and I didn't really want it and, you know, he used some persuasive techniques to close me and now I regret it. Buyer regret, right? It's post-purchase yeah. post -purchase dissonance. Um. Yeah, too often in the past, particularly last century, people were, you know, being treated, the buyer was almost being treated as like an adversary. You know, I'm going to conquer you. I'm going to overcome your objections and I'm going to close you. That was my job. But buyers have always hated that. You know, no one likes to be sold to. We all want yeah. to buy something, right? So, yeah, back to your point, some of those products were just scams, and people were using all sorts of techniques to, to you know, get buyers to buy something that they didn't really need. Can't do that anymore. It's funny how, as as much as things change, Graham, like they they remain the same. You know, like yeah. with the modern ways of um, phishing and scamming and all this other stuff as well. Uh, one of the things that just came to mind when you when you were sharing that story with us was, I speak to a lot of people, and particularly a lot of women, and I've, I mentor uh, some marketing and comms ladies from Melbourne University who are wonderful and, and two of them have come on as, as interns for me as well, which is 
an amazing um, transition and, yep. and a, a way to be able to, you know, get a lot of value from both ends. Is the confidence to sell themselves mm. in jobs and to meet the, the partner of their dreams. Mm. And one thing I've noticed is that this culture of negative or self-deprecation seems to help undermine uh, this ability to sell themselves. What is it about that statement that, that you find so interesting? It's a great, it's a great point. And look, I touched on it in the book. You know, um, in order to really confidently put yourself forward, sell yourself, you have to know who you are. You have to be very clear about what, what I call your unique value proposition. What is it that I do that I do well that helps somebody who might have a specific need? Um, in a job interview situation, if you, you know, if you're wanting to go in and impress the people you're trying to get the job with, then be very clear about your strengths, your weaknesses, be authentic, be honest about it. And when you come at things from that standpoint, you come across as not only confident, but credible. You know, I'm aware I'm a human, I've got some strengths, I've got some weaknesses, and here they are. And I'm really good at this particular thing. So there's not enough, there's not enough self-reflection and self-awareness with a lot of people. I think people operate too much on the surface. They say, you know, in terms of EQ, emotional quotient, emotional intelligence, um, self-management is the cornerstone. Who am I? What am I good at? And how do I communicate that quickly and effectively? I think that goes to your point. Now, having written about the need for salespeople today, especially today, to be seen as a specialist in whatever field it is, I'm a specialist in sales. That's what I do. I'm not trying to be all things to all people. I'm just very focused on this is what I'm good at and this is why and here's how I can help your business. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really brilliant point, Graham. And, and another thing that comes to mind is the, uh, and we spoke about this before we started recording, about uh, Bob Berg's book, The Go-Giver. Yes, um, which, love it. Which for people listening to this, I can't recommend a, a, a really consumable, consumable book um, more highly. It, it's about really being able to, to live a life of fulfillment and by giving, but also yeah. becoming really abundantly successful and whatever that looks like to you. And I think the, the one of the tipping points is not just his book, but a bunch of other reading and stuff and people that I've spoken to that are all incredibly successful that are adopting these philosophies. As soon as I started to learn that, Graham, like it really changed how, how my life went about and, yeah. and the responses I was getting from people that I was engaging with. Yeah. And I can't stress how much abundance has come into my life by going into as many engagements as I can with this idea, what value can I add this individual? And, you know, it could be the the checkout chick or the checkout dude, you know what I mean? And a little example might be when they say, hi, how are you? And you might, instead of responding back saying, good, thank you, you say, I say this from time to time, I say, honestly? And they'll say, yeah. And I'll say, I'm blessed. And they'll more often than not say, why Why are you blessed? Yeah. And I'll say, oh, look at me. i got food in my belly. I've got clothes on my back. I've got a roof over my head. I've got the love of a beautiful woman. Like what more? And like yeah. the response, 99.9% because there's always one person who's having a really bad day. Yeah. Uh, and it just is the, the uplifting 
um, feeling that you both get. Yeah. And and I suppose my question to you, Graham, is what are some examples that you do yeah. that are really effective for you? Uh, look, I, I love that and I love the go-giver mentality and I, I absolutely love the fact that the world is now where it's at because, and I'll come back to your question in a second, but having started my career as a salesperson back in the old days when it was called interruptive push, so I would interrupt the buyer and I would push them through a sales process called vendor push selling, right? Jeez. It was all about, you know, what you could take from the table, like what can I what can I win for me? I, I want as much revenue as I can. I want to win this sale and beat the competition and blah blah blah. It was very inwardly focused. It was focused all on my self interest and the company that I work for self interest. Thank goodness we've now gone 180 degrees now, and we now live in an era where it's all about create value before you try to extract value. You've got to give buyers a delightful experience now, buying experience at each and every touch point, right? So, yeah, we, we've moved, you know, probably quite by accident, we've moved now into this kind of this go-giver world where it's all about what can I do to help you, Mr. Buyer or Mrs. Buyer, um, and how can I help you solve your problem? And when I do that in the knowledge that while I'm immersed in helping you, the byproduct is I'll get what I want. I want you as a long-term customer, a paying customer, and if I help you to the best of my ability, I will get eventually what I want. Spot on. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Um, yeah, I, I love your um, example of that positivity. You know, it, it's infectious. It's the law of reciprocity, the law of attraction. It's all of that stuff that I, I, I you know, I'm just deeply immersed in these days. Yeah, it's uh, a great example um, happened to me on Saturday uh, morning, which bears no relevance because this podcast will come out after that. But I uh, went for a run with a friend of mine, Andre Bradovich, who's like an amazing uh, Ironman coach and was uplifted from that that experience. Yeah. Just a light jog before I went and played cricket for the day. And I went into the uh, the South Melbourne market and I went and uh, went to my favourite seafood place, Aptus Seafoods. Big shout out to Aptus. And um, uh, bumped into my friend there who's the owner. And he's in his, uh, he's in his late 50s, early 60s, I think now. And uh, Petro's name is. Shout out, Petro. And uh, and we were just having a conversation and put my arm around him and just, I don't know, I just felt compelled. I said, Petra, is there anything I can do for you today? Yep. And he, and, uh, he said to me, oh, if you can give me 20 years back. <laughs> and I said, well, hey, actually, Petro, with the knowledge that I've acquired with this, this diet and lifestyle, I said, you'd be amazed how many years I can get you back. And he yep. sort of laughed. And then he said, what do you want, Laban? And then I ordered a dozen oysters and some smoked trout and some fresh uh, salmon sashimi, which was going to be my breakfast for the day. And then he put it in a bag, he slid it over the counter, and he said to me, there you go, Laban. And he refused to take my money. He refused to take my money, and that would have been $45 worth of of fish and and oysters. And uh, do you know what? That happens to me, Graham, more times than I can care to remember. I do remember, but than I can even realise. And the point of sharing this is that, what I wanted to um, share with people based on exactly what you were saying was that if you are following your purpose, if you are doing something that truly sets you alight, you'll want to be able to pump value into the person that you're engaging with, even if it's a non-traditional sales role or a non-sales role, it still will be selling. 
And that's why when I worked in recruitment for such a long time, I wasn't living my core beliefs and my my truth and my purpose, my reason for being on this goddamn planet, yep. which was not that. And I just needed to listen to the universe, whatever you believe in. Yep. And and now that I'm doing something that I adore, mm. I do it at a 500%. Yeah. And it sounds like that's what you've figured out for yourself yeah, as well. You know? It really is. And look, the business sales tribe is all about, as I said before, our purpose is to help salespeople protect and upgrade their careers. Now, what does that mean Day to day, it means that we spend a lot of time, my team and I, just having Zoom calls and, and coffees with sales individuals and just giving them some advice. Whether they take it or not, that's up to them, but we're, we're more than happy to invest that time in people because, you know, to your point about the, the, the fish, you know, the, the seafood, when we do that quite often, not all the time, but quite often these salespeople are so appreciative that someone's taken the time to actually give them some free advice that they'll go back to their business and they'll talk about us. So again, to the point before, create value before you try to extract value. You do something good for someone with the right intent, it comes back eventually anyway. Um, when I first launched the business March 2017, I said to myself and, and my co-founder, my brother Doug, we both said, we are going to adopt a, a seed and grow mentality. Plant seeds, water those seeds, nurture those seeds, some of them will grow and some of them we will harvest. Not all, but some. And we we religiously adopted that attitude, if you like, seed and grow. Just nurture, you know, just give, nurture, and eventually, what do you know, it all started coming back, and it's now coming back in a bit of a flood, frankly. Wow. Yeah. Graham, what's, what's the greatest example that you could share with our audience to put you on the spot here of that that reciprocity, that, that abundance mindset in your own business, in your own dealings over the last however many years? Oh, there's a lot. There's a lot of these examples that we've now collected. In fact, we, we use some of these in our, our training. What's, what's the one that probably means the most to you? Well, from a pure business point of view, um, the one that really kind of blew me away, and this speaks to the power of social, right, and the power of doing what we're doing right here, creating content. Um, in 2016, when I started on LinkedIn, pushing out our message and, on, and you know, in a pretty regular cadence on content. Um, the, the, I'll give you the, the shortened version of the story, but there was a lady at um, MLC here in Melbourne named Melissa Crawford who liked a couple of my posts. So I did what I always do. When someone engages with my content, I engage with her and I said, you know, thanks for liking my posts. I'm always open to connecting with people. If you're interested in what we do, yeah. let's connect. So we connected on LinkedIn and then she sent me a message a week or two later and said, oh, I just bought your book and I'm really interested in what you guys are doing and, you know, we've got this old-fashioned business that needs help. So that that online engagement led to an offline coffee and a discussion and next thing I'm doing, you know, some work with MLC. But that that process then, weirdly enough, because I was uh, – we did a workshop. I took a picture of the MLC group and, you know, talked a little bit about it and post what we did. Some guy named um, Rob Michael in London working with a big company called Aon saw this post, you know, as it's a global platform, right? Yeah, yeah. So Rob sees this post and he's like, oh, this is exactly what we've been grappling with. So Rob reaches out on LinkedIn. Rob says, I've just bought your book. Can you Next time you're in London, let me know. So long story short, I have a coffee with Rob. I win an account called Aon, massive global company. That leads to Rob recommending me to a guy, he's one of his mates who's the MD of working capital at Lloyds Bank, 
So next thing you know, a little old sales tribe has two massive companies, one of the biggest banks in the world, Lloyds Bank in London, just by, you know, I guess, giving content away, helping people. It all snowballs. We're encouraging serendipity. Which I love that. And the reason I'm going down to my, my diary here is because LinkedIn is something that um, I just want to talk to you a little bit about, Grant, because you are um, a LinkedIn top voice. 2018 I was, yeah. Yeah, which which for people listening means that the content that Graham's creating is is recognises some of the top content on LinkedIn. Was that? Well, certainly in my field, yeah. Um, there's, LinkedIn's a, you know, a massive global marketplace and, and my little sphere or micro niche is sales. But, yeah, I was recognised by LinkedIn um, as one of the top voices for that year, which was which was a real honour. Yeah. And, and uh it's the 16th most highest used website on the planet yeah. or, or uh, website. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and the things that you're talking about, that simple act of engaging with someone and the butterfly effect that that's had on your business. Unbelievable. And, and so this is for maybe people that are struggling, you know, people like that are fresh out of university or whatever, Start now, optimize later, and and involve yourself. It is such a powerful platform. It's still really credible uh, versus some of the other platforms that are maybe you know maybe losing their way a little bit or been bastardized in some way. But uh, if you figure out how to use it, uh, it's a really powerful resource. It's really great for stalking and researching your you know future employer as well. Um, what other tips can you give the people? Oh, how long have we got? Mate, I, I, I am so in love with LinkedIn. I, I honestly believe in 30 years of sales, I've never seen anything have such an impact on sales and the role that we do that LinkedIn has. To think now that we've got a, a marketplace of 720 plus million active users, every single buyer on the planet is either on LinkedIn or they're researching us on LinkedIn. They're looking at us. So I love what you just said, you know, start now, optimise later. That's kind of what I did. I started my journey 2016. First article went out January 2016. Crickets. <laughs> I had virtually no interaction much at all and I didn't have a big network at that point. But I I said to myself, I don't know where this is going, but I know it's the right thing to do. So I just kept chipping away, pushing our content, gradually building the network. The more I built the network, the more people saw the content. And the, the two just started to do this. It started to just grow a life of its own. So I cannot agree with you more. I think anybody that's trying to build a business, build a brand, you know, get themselves out there, enhance their career, get on LinkedIn and be really clear about two things. Really clear about who is my target audience? Who do I want in my network? Not just spray and pray, right? Be really clear about, you know, what is it that I do and who, who do I do it for? So your target audience and what is your unique promise of value? If you can start to communicate that on LinkedIn and start to cut through all the noise, because there's a lot of noise. A lot of noise. But if you can do that well, oh, we've seen it firsthand a number of times now where it's just, it scales off the charts. It's incredible. It, and uh, for, for people that want some help, uh, there's a wonderful resource in Gillian Bullock, J-I-L-L-I-N Bullock, who was a former guest on the podcast. She's the LinkedIn ninja, and her, her profile was voted number one 
in the world last February. Really? And her and I have been doing some work together as well. She is, uh, follow her on LinkedIn. She'll, uh, she's got some amazing free resources as well uh, that if you're starting out on how to build a profile, how to use the, the algorithms that are constantly evolving, you know, educate yourself. Um, it sounds complex, but if you do the simple things right, people like as a former recruiter, someone who works in that space as yeah. well, you know, people will go to LinkedIn and Facebook to, to ascertain what kind of human being you are. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if it's, and if it's some shitty photograph Ugh. with yeah. no content, like it just, it's a discipline thing. It's a, it means it means you're not aware. It means you're not aware. Correct. It, it, and it goes. What you just said goes directly to what we talked about previously about go giver. The one of the favourite things that I preach and that we've learned, and we by the way we practice what we preach every day here at Sales Tribe, is that visibility creates opportunity. Like it's, it's what we've been talking about. You know, you put yourself out there, and you're encouraging serendipity. Conversely, of course, if you're invisible, if you're not on these platforms where buyers now reside, you may as well be invisible. Um, the very best salespeople today, Laban, are, are engaging buyers where and how those buyers learn. Now, increasingly, that's on social platforms like LinkedIn. They're, the first thing we all do, like you want to buy a car, you want to buy a big screen TV, what do you do? You jump online, you start your research. You have a look at who are the suppliers. You read the recommendations. You go to G2 Crowd, TripAdvisor, Trustpilot to get recommendations. Then finally you go and talk to a vendor. So get on these platforms, be visible, and some good stuff will start to come along. Uh, yeah, I can't recommend it more highly. I mean, I don't even think it matters what industry you're in. I think even if you're working blue collar, like, it, uh, yeah. it, you know, it's such a powerful, powerful medium uh, and it's free. Yeah. Like, at the basic end of it. It is. Yes, there's time involved, but you can use this platform for free. It's, I often say, think of it this way. You've walked into Jeff's shed here in Melbourne, the exhibition centre, and it's filled with 720 million people. And they've all got a great big lanyard on with their entire career history on their, on their shirt. You can walk up and read their history. You can see who they're connected to, where they've worked previously. And you can introduce yourself to that person and say, hey, I notice you work at blah, blah, blah. You know, like that's what it's like in real life, but this is all online, of course. But it's the world's biggest meeting, me business meeting, if you like. Yeah, and and I'm glad that thought that disappeared out of my mind a minute ago has come back because one thing that really struck me, Graham, was that I've been sharing my podcasts for the last, you know, since April last year, and engagement varies from post to post, and I'm starting to learn how to use the the, the algorithm's better with the help of Jillian. She's been, you know, amazing helping me build this this profile on this platform. Yep. I quite often bump into people either in the street or they'll send me a direct message and they will say, Laban, I love what you're doing. Mm. I, I, you know, they'll, and they might give a really amazing compliment. But you know what, Graham? They never liked a single post. They've never commented. Uh -huh. And the thing I love about that yeah. is that it shows me that it's actually penetrating far deeper than what I thought. Correct. In a sales context, I'll, I'll tell you what I call that. Buyers are looking at you in the dark. There's somewhere, in fact, I wrote a post about this recently where I said we've got two funnels, traditional sales funnel. Those are the businesses that we're dealing with or the individuals that we're dealing with who are in our, you know, our funnel. 
But then there's this other invisible funnel of these people that you just referenced who are sitting there watching. You don't even know they're watching. And one day they come back to you and say, hey, and I had this recently. I had a guy um, from a company called eCreators in Melbourne hit me up on LinkedIn said, hey, I'd love to shout your coffee if you're ever in St Kilda Road. I'm like, yeah, okay, great, no problem. We sit down and have a coffee. He says, Graham, I've been watching your content for two years now. <laughs> I'm like, oh, really? I've never heard of him. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, they're seeing they're seeing this activity and you don't even know it's happening. It's incredible. It's Because uh, I, I think there's still some legacy. Uh, like I know my younger brother who uh, uh, lives interstate um, isn't a huge fan of social media at all and, like, he's very protective. He's got a very young family and, and doesn't want to have photographs of his kids available public domain, which I, which is, you know, totally, totally respect that. Yep. And so I think there's variations of people that, are, that don't want to be seen for whatever reason. Yes. Um, you've got the extroverts and the people that put themselves out there that are happy to like and share. And I'll put pretty much anything on LinkedIn uh, that aligns with my core values. And there's some controversial stuff, on, or deem, seemingly controversial stuff, which is yep. not actually, but in my humble opinion. But um, if you know that and you understand that, uh, it'll allow you to just pursue and just persist forward, really. Yeah, totally. No, I couldn't agree more. I think that the power of the platform to create visibility, to create a brand, you know, I, I look at my own LinkedIn profile as my 24 by 7 TV advertisement about me and what I do. It's it's working while I'm asleep. Yeah. You know, in the old days when I was selling, it was one-to-one. It was you and I having a chat over a table or a coffee and it's one-to-one. This thing enables me to scale my business globally because it's one-to-many. Yeah. It's powerful. So from from a client, who is your ideal client and, and can people, you know, engage your services from overseas? Yeah. Yeah, they can. Um, as I say, our biggest client is Lloyds Bank in London. Incredible. So that's on the business side. Our ideal clients are anyone who's in sales that wants to protect and upgrade their career. They can join the platform and be part of our community and get all sorts of services and help from us. In terms of businesses, um, we've got a real mixed bag of clients now. We we started out, as you can see behind me here, helping startups, you know, yeah. small businesses that really don't know a lot about sales and really can't afford to have an expensive sales function. We started out helping those guys and then very quickly we, we moved up into sort of the mid-market enterprise and then right through to large corporates. So our ideal client, though, if I'm being really honest, is mid-sized tech companies who are looking to scale. And I say that because I've worked for a lot of those companies, so I know them very well, and so have some of my colleagues. So we, we tend to play well in that space. Um, we we won one of the most exciting wins recently was Monday.com, which is an incredible Israeli software company that's just going off the charts. Collaboration software, all based in the cloud. These guys are rock stars. They're incredible. And um, so we help them expand into the Asia-Pac market. We put their team on the ground here and uh, we've helped them with a range of services. That's a great company. It's a, I think it's a one, it's probably nearly a $2 billion valuation now. So How many shekels is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Israeli shekels. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of shekels. <laughs> um, they are um, a classic ideal customer profile for us. You know, yeah. Scale-ups, tech scale-ups who are looking to really expand rapidly. They, they need digital and social. They need to expand their their products into new markets, and we can show them how to do that. Brilliant. Well, I mean, for any any uh, anyone fitting that demographic, yeah. uh, how do we how do we find you apart from the obvious? 
Oh, look, the obvious is the the starting place. It's, it's you know, I hate to sound like, you know, LinkedIn's the be-all and end-all, but it kind of is for us. I mean, it's the business network, right? Yeah. Um, we, we, don't, we dabble with Facebook, we dabble with Instagram a little bit, but frankly, we are on the business network. We, we have all sorts of programs and products around social selling, and I've got to mention this. I hate the term social selling. I often say it's not social and there is no selling. You touched on it before. I'm using LinkedIn to research ideal customers, to social listen, like listening to what's happening, to understand who is my buyer persona, what do they care about, how do I find out what they care about now, now how do I create a message that gets their attention. So for us, it's LinkedIn. Brilliant. Yeah. Graeme, this has been a really enlightening conversation. I'm conscious that you're a super busy dude and you're, you're on your way to take over the world. Is there anything that you want to leave our audience with before we wrap this bad boy up? Well, two things, I think. Um, yeah, it's been a, a great chat and it's good to talk to someone who's so like-minded with this stuff too. You know, the whole create value before you try to extract value, I think, is the key. But two things that sort of go with that, I think, um, you know, now is the greatest time ever to be in sales. Because finally, salespeople can just be themselves and add value to our buyers without any of the old-fashioned pitching, pushing, persuading, coercing, right? We can just be the professionals that we should have always been. Gone are the old vendor push business models. Now it's all about customer pull. I'm not chasing you anymore as a buyer. I'm trying to attract you, right? That's the first thing. And with all of that comes that thing that I've mentioned to you before about if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. We all have to just embrace this new world that we live in, which is just constant change, constant evolution. So, yeah, Dr. Uh, not Dr. General Eric, Eric Shinseki, US Army General, said that one. If you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. <laughs> <laughs> well, God, I think uh, if anyone's gone through the last year and a bit, uh, it, it changes one of those things that you just really have got no control over. No. And um, you either embrace that motherfucker or you just yeah. uh, you eat shit. 100%. 100%. You've got to, yeah, there's so much that's outside our control, right? Just accept it, embrace it, and run with it. And it's not hard to get out in front of the herd, you know? Well, the future of uh, the sales profession is Graham's amazing book, um, and uh, it will benefit anyone that that uh, wants to develop um, a much better insight into how to how to even sell themselves better, to to meet the the partner of your dreams, to to nail that job interview, to uh, to rent that property, to to buy a property, to be able to engage with the sales agent, and to create some amazing rapport, so that then they will want to help you and. and as soon as you start understanding how this stuff flows into all areas of your life, it's the most extraordinary, powerful tool. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Graham Hawkins. Thanks, Laban. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust 
that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.